If you have your Bible, I want to ask you guys to go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we continue on. And uh, we're hoping to give you some windows in to the family of Point Community Church over the next few weeks. Because the truth is, again, we all have challenges in this area of finance. Um, I, as a pastor, am not exempt from this. In fact, this week I've had several uh, very helpful discussions with my wife, if you know what I mean, about finances. Because that stuff happens in our world. And so uh, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 6. And if you go ahead and find that, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles under the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take one of those with you as a gift from Point Community Church. Um, I want you to know on the front end this morning that I hope that every single one of you in this room get rich. Okay? I'm not a person who stands up and preaches a prosperity gospel, meaning that I don't think that, uh, that the way that the Bible works is that we, uh, we do what God wants us to do so that we get rich. Okay? I don't believe that the only sign that we are God's children or that we are obeying Him is that we have a lot of money. But my prayer is that every single one of you in this room would get wealthy. But here's my bigger prayer, is that every one of you would be wise with your wealth. That you would be good stewards of your wealth. That you would be good, uh, good with using the money that God gives you, okay? Because here's the thing. What I've seen over the course of my life and what I've seen statistically, and even this week as I did some research, is that, generally speaking, we don't do well when we get wealth. We don't tend to become better people. We actually tend to become stingier people. Uh, in fact, just this might be interesting to you, but in the, the stats that I read, it showed that uh, as people get more money, they give less. They give less. So in the local church, the local uh, churches that that you and I are part of, like Point Community Church, on average across the United States, people that make less than $10,000 a year give about 2.3% of their income to the local church. Okay, About 2.3% of their income goes to the local church. Now, that's interesting just in light of the fact that God says in his word that a tithe, which even Dolores and Gonzo brought up, is 10%. Okay, uh, but, but they give 2.3% that when you get... Uh, to $70,000 more or year, uh, more per year, um, people that are in that category give about 1.2% of their income to the local church. So you cut it in half as the money increases. Now, what's interesting about that is I just think that it shows us that when we have $10, giving one doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. But when you have $10,000, giving $1,000 feels a little bit weightier, doesn't it? And so as our money increases, it's our, it's our hearts get more and more attached to what we have, and it's harder and harder to let go. So this morning, what I want us to, to talk about is not just about giving. I just want to talk about this issue of wealth in general and what the Bible has to say, because we need to be on guard against this battle that's going on in our souls and how we understand money, okay? And my hope is not so that we uh, promote in this church that our goal is that everybody would be poor, okay? This is not about poverty gospel. This is not about, hey, if you're poor, you're, you're more spiritually mature. The idea is that we would learn to use money as a tool rather than see it as a master, okay? So um, when we think about statistics, uh, I want you to understand that every single one of you in this room are rich, Every single one of us in this room are rich. 
Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't feel rich. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But let me give you a couple st- statistics that are really helpful. Um, in fact, you can do this yourself. If you go to globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com, this is the great part about being in the, the information age, you can type in your income and you can find out just what percent uh, you fall in in the world's uh, wealth. And if you make $33,000 a year, you make $33,000 a year and you type that in, you are in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. That means that you are wealthier than 99% of the people on planet Earth. Anybody surprised by that this morning? How about this? If you make $80,000 a year in your family, joint income, $80,000 a year, you're in the top 0.1% of wealth on the entire planet Earth. Now, anybody in here feel rich right now? The truth is, is that we don't compare ourselves to the 99% that we're wealthier than. We compare ourselves to the 1% that are wealthier than us. Because I always look up. I always look to those people who have more than me rather than those who have less than me. Right? That's our tendency. That's the way it works. But the problem is, we don't feel rich because not only do we not compare, we just lose sight of reality. What are luxuries become necessities. Things that we live with in everyday life that are really luxuries become things that are just normal. It's normative to have these things. But I want you to understand that there are people in the world who look at your life and look at my life, and they go, wow, they are so rich. They are so rich. In fact, this is crazy. They, they go to these coffee shops, and, and what would take us a whole day worth of work to earn, they go and buy this, this drink called a latte, and they do it twice a day, and once on the way to work and once on the way home. And it would take us a whole day to earn enough to make, to make enough money to buy it. And yet they, they drink two a day. It's crazy. They're so wealthy. Not only that, but they have these things called cell phones. And these phones, and they can access the internet anywhere in the world. They can talk to their family over a video conference from their phone. It's crazy. They're so wealthy. In fact, not only that, their families have like three and four and five of these. There's kids that are in second and third grade that have cell phones. These people are so wealthy. Not only that, but they have cars. They have a car that they drive. In fact, they have more than one car. They've got two cars. Some even have three, and they have houses that they put these cars in. It's crazy. They have a house for their car, and they have houses for their clothes. You walk into some of their houses, their their closets are as big as our house. And you walk inside, and they have all these clothes hanging there, and they say things like this, I don't have anything to wear. (laughs) And there's these ladies, there's these ladies, I, I know none of you men have this, but there's these ladies, they have 11 pairs of shoes. They have 11 pairs. It's crazy. They're wealthy, they're so rich. In fact, when they want to go out to eat, they will drive past 15 other restaurants to go to the restaurant that they want to eat at. They'll spend as much on gas to get to that restaurant as we would make in a whole week. They're so rich. You see, the reality is is we lose perspective, don't we? We lose perspective on how much money we actually have. We lose perspective on just how amazingly blessed we are. And what's funny about this is that this rich line, it moves. It moves. Uh, when they asked, Money Magazine asked some, some individuals who make about $35,000 a year, they said, hey, how much money do you think it would take for you to feel rich? 
And you know what the average person said who made $35,000 a year? They said, if we could make $75,000 a year, we would be rich. We'd be so rich. And some of you are in this room going, we make $75,000 a year, and I don't feel rich. They asked the people who made $75,000 a year, how much do you think you need to feel rich? And they said, $150,000. If I could make $150,000, I would feel rich. But the truth of the matter is this morning, what makes you, would, make, would make you feel rich is always more than you have. It's always more because it's an elusive thing to be rich. It's a moving line. It's continuously changing on us, isn't it? Because the culture we live in, the swim in, do life in, is telling us we always need more. They, the same Money Magazine, they ask a question to some, some wealthy people, and they said, how, many, how much money and assets do you need, liquid assets do you need, to feel rich? You know what the average answer was? Five million dollars in assets. If you get five million dollars in assets, then you will be wealthy. So that means if you have a million dollars in assets, you're not wealthy. Two million, three million, four million, four and a half million, you're still not wealthy. But five million, then you're wealthy. Then you're really secure and rich. Some of you in here are going, are you kidding me? That, that, they think that, that, that that's how much you need? I'll just take 500,000. I'll, I'll just take, you know, whatever your number is in your brain. But we all have numbers, don't we? We all have numbers that we're shooting for. We all have this idea. And I just want us to remember this morning is that that is an elusive reality. That we will always want more. The bottom line, and I want us to say this together this morning. If you've got your worship guide and you're filling in the blanks, I want us to say this together this morning. God has blessed us with more than we need and we are rich. you say that with me? God has blessed us with more than we need, and we are rich. Some of you aren't saying that with much conviction this morning, because you're thinking about the bills you've got to pay this week, right? You're thinking about all of the things that are on your, your plate right now financially that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with these financial tr- struggles and trials that I f- I'm facing, but the truth is, is that we are wealthy. I told you a while ago to open your Bible to 1 Timothy 6. Let's go there now. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is writing to Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, okay? And so, uh, apparently in Ephesus, they had some money. And Paul is giving uh, Timothy some instructions on how to pastor this group of people. And he says something that's really important to this group of people, uh, to, to Paul about this group of people, okay? So 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 17. We're just going to read one verse this morning and unpack it together. It says this. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, if you've got your worship guide there, we've actually listed this verse out for you and ask you to fill in those blanks because the first one you come to says is... Uh, that, that those who are rich in the present age not be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. There are some pitfalls of being rich. We've established this morning, I feel like personally I've established this week, I'm rich, even though I don't always see myself as being rich. 
But there are some pitfalls to being rich. The first thing that Paul says to them, it just says to Timothy, he says, tell them not to be arrogant. Now here's the thing about money. The more money you have, the more tendency you have to think that you are better than other people. Let that sink in for a sec. The more money that you make, the more possessions that you have, the tendency is to think that you are better than others. That's why, one of the reasons, primary reasons why, we always compare ourselves to those who have more than us. Because we've already beat everyone who has less than us. We've already beat them. We've already, you know, we've competed with them and we've won, in essence. But the people who have more than us are the ones now we're trying to aspire to be like. And when we do that, we become self-reliant. We become self-reliant. There is an incredible danger in your life and in my life that the more we have, the more we rely on our wealth, the more we rely on ourselves instead of God. There's a story in Scripture where there was a rich young man, and he came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to have life? And Jesus says to him, says to this rich young ruler, he says, go and sell everything that you have and come and follow me. And it says in the story that the rich young ruler, this rich young man, he walks away sad. Why? Because he was doing good. He was thinking, man, I could just add Jesus to my wealth, and this is, I'm going to be in great shape. He was relying on himself. He was relying on his own ability. He was relying on his stuff. It's a tendency that as we grow in wealth to think that we are more important than others, or that we're smarter. Uh, the reason I have more money is because I'm smarter than other people. Or the reason that I have more money is because I just work harder than other people, and so look at my work ethic. I'm, I'm worthy of this. Let me just put us on guard this morning that as you make more money, you will be tempted to think that you are better than other people. And that is not true. It's not true. We need to ask God for right perspective as we grow in our wealth. Let me just tell you a practical way this has worked out in my life. When I've gone to other countries in the world that are third world type countries, and I'm among those people, and can I just be really honest as a pastor this morning? that I can be among those people at times and feel like there's something in me that says I'm better than them. And it, that is messed up. It really is. I mean, that is, that, is, that is messed up that I would think that because I have more, because I live in the United States, that I'm better than these people. See, Scripture says that every person is valuable, inherently valuable because of Christ, because of being created in God's image. And, and so there is no such thing as someone who's better than someone else because of our wealth. The second thing, though, that Paul says to Timothy, he says, make sure that they don't put their hope in the uncertainty of riches and the uncertainty of wealth. Okay, he says, don't put your hope in that stuff, because what happens is, is you get consumed with your wealth. We get consumed with our wealth. We put our hope in it. Have you ever noticed that the more stuff that you own, the more it owns you? The more stuff that you have, the more like you're consumed with managing it. I can remember when Jada and I very first got married, and we lived in a little community called Albany, Texas. It's near Abilene, Texas. And uh, we, we would drive back and forth from that little community to school. And I remember reflecting uh, periodically on, on those days together in this little this house that was built in 1903. 
We lived kind of in the back section of it, next to this little church that I was serving as a student pastor at. And I made $300 a week. And I can remember living in that little house and how, like, the wind would blow. And, and like, it was like there were no windows. It was like just, there were no walls. It was like the wind would just blow right into the house. And I remember that when we very first got married, you know, because you just live on love. And, uh, and, and so, you're, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I can remember waking up after we'd gotten back from our, our honeymoon, and we're in this, this little house in Albany, Texas, and man, we were just sky high, so excited, and we walked down for breakfast, and it's, it's the winter time, and like, it is so cold in that house, because we didn't really have a sufficient uh, heating system, and I was scared to death to use the wall heater uh, overnight, and so uh, we were literally sitting there eating waffles, and uh, we, we'd made with our waffle maker, we got it our, our wedding shower, and we're like talking to each other, and it's blowing smoke, you know, it's like inside of our house, but we are just so in love, you know, and not a care in the world. But the more stuff that you own, the more complicated your life gets. And the more, the more ungrateful you get. And the more entitled you become. Because wealth is uncertain. Wealth cannot satisfy you. We get so busy managing our own stuff. And the fact is, is that the more money you have, the more stuff you try to do. The more things you fill your schedule with. And so your time starts to get eaten up by the things that you have to do to manage your wealth. And all of a sudden you have the ability to fund things that you couldn't fund before. We have to be very, very careful. Proverbs 18.11 is a great passage. It says this. It says, A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. Catch this. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. I love that imagery. Let me, let me read that again. A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. Have you seen some of those commercials that are out where they have like the little texting thing going on? And they're talking about investing for the future. And they have this little conversation going on and they're talking about how much is going to be enough, you know, to, to, to retire. Here, here's the deal. However much you think you need right now, it's always, you're always, it's always going to grow. You're always going to think you need more. And, and as we know from living in the country through the early 2000s, uh, 2007, 2009, we know that a lot of our wealth can just go bye-bye overnight, can't it, can it? There's so many baby boomers right now that lost so much of their income that they had been putting away, waiting for the day when they could retire and have this amazing retirement. And so much of it was lost because of the stock market and the recession that hit our country. There is no certainty in wealth. We don't know what's going to happen. It could be gone like that. And the truth is, is if we try to put our, our hope in it, it it's, it's like, it's in our imagination, it's this high wall that we've built up that no one can scale. It's an unscalable wall. But the truth is, is that, the truth is, is that it's, it's actually very scalable. In fact, our wealth like I said, can dissipate, and we can be stuck. And what do we put your hope in then? What, what do we put our hope in when that happens? We try to accumulate enough to feel secure. We try to save our way to safety. But the truth is, this morning, we can't, because wealth is uncertain. I've had the opportunity to be in, around some wealthy people um, over the course of my life, and I can remember one time when I was in college and I was staying with this family and they had this amazing piece of land outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we were sitting up on, in their house up on this hill 
and, and they, they uh, owned a, a several different ranches and, and uh, several different dairy farms, and man, they were, they were doing really, really well. We were in their home. It was about 8,500 square feet in air-conditioned space, and I remember talking to them about money. Um, probably not a good topic to bring up, you know, in a house like that. But, I mean, I, I, I didn't have hardly anything, but I brought it up. Just, let's just go ahead and push through that. And uh, we were having this conversation over dinner, and I remember them saying something about, you know, even though we have a lot of money and a lot of stuff, like, there's something weird that says we, we still need more. And I'm like, if you guys need more, I'm in trouble, okay? If y'all think you need more, I'm in a world of hurt here, okay? But the truth of the matter is, is that we always want more because it is uncertain and it will not satisfy. The third thing that Paul says in this passage, he says, not only to not put our hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but to put our hope on who? In God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Let me just say this to you. God has given you stuff to enjoy it. Did you know it's okay to enjoy the gifts of God? It's okay to enjoy money. It's okay to enjoy the stuff that he's given us. Just don't worship it. Just don't let it control you. Just don't let it become the center of your world and consume you. But we should put our hope in God. We should put our hope in the person and the work of Jesus. Because if not, here's the thing, we're going to increasingly grow discontent. We're going to increasingly grow discontent with the things that we have. And we call this, in our world, because it's a great way to feel better about our sin, upgrading. Anybody in here ever upgrade? Yeah? We take something that works, that's perfectly fine, and we take it and we get something newer that's just a little bit better. We upgrade, like this phone right here. This is my fourth iteration of an iPhone. And I continue to upgrade it. And you know what? Every time I got rid of my other one, my other one was working. Whoops. I'm not saying it's bad to get a better thing. I'm just saying that this is the way we work. This is the way things happen. Uh, not long ago, Harley and I had an opportunity to go and buy some appliances from a, a, a person out in West part of Austin. And we walked into this beautiful house up on this hill. It was a beautiful home. And there was a lady that had bought this home, her and her husband. And, and they went in, and this, this, there was this really great-looking kitchen. I mean, nice countertops, nice appliances, the whole thing. And she literally ripped the entire thing out to put in a whole new kitchen. Now, again, I'm not condemning this lady for doing it. I'm just saying this is how our culture works. Everything was working. Everything was, you know, I don't know, two, three, four years old. It looked really cool. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, are you kidding me? But the truth is, is that that's the way it works. And whatever your scale is, we all are guilty of it. Whether it's your cars, whether it's your house, how many square feet you need to upgrade to, whatever it is, we are always upgrading. Because there's this part of us that puts our hope in that instead of God, puts our our hopes that our satisfaction will be satisfied in, will be found in God, in, in our stuff instead of God. But here's the truth this morning. The chief competitor with God, according to the Bible, the chief competitor with God, according to the Bible, is money. The chief competitor with God is money. 
And the truth of the matter is, is our heart can only bow down to one God. Matthew 6, 24 says it this way. No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of both God and money. And I could give you a lot of other passages this morning that speak to this because the Bible is full of scriptures that speak about money and the hold that it gets on our hearts. But my hope is that we would recognize that as our hearts are competing, or these things are competing for our heart's affections, that God alone can satisfy the longing that we have, the wants that we have. So what is the solution this morning? What is the solution to the fact that if, if the chief competitor to God in our hearts is money, what is the solution? Well, he says it again there in the passage. He says to put our hope in God. So put our hope in the provider instead of the provision. That we need to put our hope in the provider instead of the provision. So how do we know we're actually doing this? How would we know that we're actually putting our hope in the provider instead of the provision? Well, let me just ask a quick diagnostic question. I heard this not long ago, and it was a huge help to me, even though painful. Which one of these two statements gives you more anxiety? Your bank account is empty. There is no God. Which one of those causes you to be more unsettled this morning? Which one of those shakes you at your core this morning? Your bank account is empty. You have no more money. Or there is no God. Because the truth is, is when you come to the end of your life, no matter how much you have, what will matter in that moment? What will matter on that day? What will matter when your life is over? It won't matter how much money is in your bank account. It won't matter how big your house is. It won't matter how many cars you have. It will not matter how much stuff you've accumulated. What will matter on that day is do you know Jesus? What will matter when all is said and done is what have we done with the riches of the gospel? Because here's the thing this morning. While the world cannot satisfy, Christ and what he has done for us will satisfy, not just for now, but forever. Forever. Because we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And this life is brief, and even though those things, those wants, those desires, they seem to be so huge right now, in the very end, they will not last. They're temporary. As you probably heard it said, there is no such thing as a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Because your stuff can't go with you into the next life. It can't. My stuff cannot go with me into the next life. Here's the thing. The reason that we're teaching this series is not because we want to make people feel more guilty about money. I think everybody feels guilty enough. In fact, it's funny. If you get, if you get wealthy and you're a Christian, you apologize for it. It's one of the only blessings from God that we apologize for. I mean, somebody says, hey, that's a nice shirt. Yeah, I got it for a really good price at a sale. You know, it's, it's like we, we are automatically just start like making up for this stuff that we've bought, right? It's this weird thing that we do. I'm not trying to get you to apologize for the shirts you, bu- you buy or the, the shoes you wear or clothes you have or the house you have. That's not the point. The point is, 
Do you see money as a tool that God wants to use, or, or is it using you? Is it controlling you? Because we want you to be free. We want you to rethink money because the culture is constantly telling you that your money is the most important, that how much you have, what you can buy, what you can do, that that's so, so important. But the Bible says no. It's temporary. It's not going to last. And hear me say this this morning. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants me. And when he has us, we'll give money because we realize that money, again, is just something that he's given us to steward, to manage for him, to help advance his cause. There are so many needs on this planet that could be met if the church just rose up and said, we're going to stop living like everyone else in the world and actually we're more generous with what we have. In fact, what I didn't tell you on the front end is that Statistics show us that 71% of people who go to church, who believe the Bible, who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, put their trust in Him, 71% give less than 2% of their income to the local church. Why am I telling you that? Because I'm convinced that we as a local church still haven't figured out that God is sovereign, He's King, and that He's really the one that satisfies, and that, that, that there's more satisfaction that comes from giving than getting. I want you to be free of the love of money. I want you to be free of greed. I want you to be free of the cultural's view on how we just get more and upgrade and upgrade and upgrade and more and more stuff. Because here's the thing. You and I cannot win the game. We'll never win. You'll always want more. And the, the, the solution is not just simply, not just simply to Stop buying stuff. It's not. The solution is not simply to just start giving more. The solution is to come to Jesus and to ask him to change your heart. And to ask him to remind you of what matters most. And to remind you that you are far more wealthy, not just in physical money, but in spiritual riches than you can even begin to imagine than I can begin to imagine. Let's pray this morning. God, we need your help to be set free from the the love of money. We need your help to be set free from this game that we play of always wanting more, of always wanting something bigger and better. God, we need your help. We need you to rescue us because the truth is our hearts, they're, they're deceived. There is no savings account that can give us security like Jesus. There's not a big enough 401k. There's not a big enough inheritance. There's not a big enough house. There's not enough stuff that can make us feel secure in this life. But you, God, you can bring the security to us. Help us to see money rightly. Help us, as Paul was telling Timothy, God, help us not to be arrogant. Help us not to put our hope on uncertainty of wealth. Help us to put our hope in God and help us enjoy what you've given us by being a blessing to others. This morning, if, if you've never put your trust in Christ, 
to save you, if you've never put your trust, your hope in Christ, let me just encourage you this morning, like, he can rescue you from whatever struggle, whatever challenge you're facing right now. And if you're struggling with anxiety and fear and worry about money, I I just encourage you, give it to God. Give it to Jesus. Give your life to him. Lay down control. And ask him to give you wisdom on how to use what he's given you. If you need prayer this morning, um, our staff and elders will be available to pray for you. We'd love to do that. If you, if you need encouragement, um, if you just need help <laughs> to figure out how to dig yourself out of the pit you're in with money, we would love to encourage you and help you with that. But know this, that there's hope in Christ. No matter what you feel, no matter what you're you're sensing in your, your soul right now, there's hope in Christ. And um, a reminder of that is that we're going we're gonna to take communion this morning, as we do every week. And around the room, there's some tables. And we ask that you go there to that table, and you take that cracker, and you dip it in the juice, and you remember that you have been given life in Jesus. So, even if your bank account doesn't have as many zeros after it as you want it to right now, you have life in Christ. Even if you feel like you're in over your head in debt, like most Americans are, you have life in Christ today, and he can help you get free from that. Even if you know today, if you're really honest, you're a very stingy, greedy person, we have life and hope in Christ today, and he can set us free. And so I encourage you to go to that table and to remember that Christ, he gave everything for us to be with us.